You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Great, so what a wonderful time of worship. I'm just recovering from that, if that's uh, how you put it. Wow, God is so good. I just, uh, such a privilege to be able to be an elder in this church. I love this church. Um, I love being part of this family, love being part of seeing what God is doing among Hope Church. Sometimes go away for a weekend or something, come back and feel, oh, I'm at home again with my family, with worshipping with brothers and sisters. Uh, I love seeing God at work. Yeah, with, uh, good, it worked, right. Uh, no, I, I sincerely, it is such a pleasure to be part of this church. Uh, God is restoring people's lives helping people to stand in the goodness of who he is, restoring marriages, restoring families. He's so good. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg, guys. We're just touching on who he is. Uh, it's such a privilege to, to be part of this. I was so moved by that spoken word that John shared with us, thinking of, as he spoke of, the unveiled face. Uh, one day we will stand before our maker, his bride, as a bride who's gone down the aisle and the husband stands before her and is stunned and overwhelmed with love for her and lifts the veil and they look at each other face to face. That's our destiny. That's what our rescuer has done for us to come and say, you're my beloved. And we're going to learn about that a bit this morning. What a thought. What a savior. So this morning we, uh, we're in Matthew again. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> we're in Luke. It says Matthew at the top of my thing. We're in Luke, the gospel uh, of hope. And uh, as we go through these biographical accounts of Jesus' life, we go through, we take our time. I've been reading through Matthew, that's why I said that, for, uh, for probably over a year now, actually definitely over a year, just taking my time chewing on it and just recognizing I want to take my time. I want to grapple. There's people in the Bible who grappled with God, who wrestled with God, who took time. What, this doesn't fit my understanding, but I'm not going to let go until, until I've understood who you are. And uh, Tommy spoke to us last week, quite a sobering message. A sobering message. If you were here, you would have heard him um, quote from Matthew 7, where Jesus said, there will be a day where many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. And there'll be many who think that they, they're right with God because of what they do. But Jesus sobered us up last week by saying there will be a day where some who come, many it says, who think they're right with God, he will have to say, I didn't know you. And I think it would be fair to turn it around and say, because you didn't know me. It's so important that when we find things in God that we don't like, that offend us, find things in his word, what he's revealed of himself that scare us, that demand something of us, it's so easy for us to ignore them. It's so easy for us to change them, to deny them. And what happens is we end up with a different God. That's the reality of it. And he could say to us, you didn't know me, you, you, you made up a God in your image. My desire was to... Make you in my image, but you made something else instead of me in your image. 
I want to be a person who's able to come to God one day and he says, hey Tim, welcome. That I know him, that he knows me. You want that? Desperately want that. I truly want to know God. I, I must be determined, therefore, to ask God, please help me to see you as you are. And trust that where that offends me, I'm the one who changes, not you. Where that scares me, I trust you. Where it demands something of me, I remember you're worthy of what you demand. A life poured out for you. This is what it is to take our own soul seriously. It's what it is to take your existence seriously, to take eternity seriously. God is beyond our comprehension. We can't know everything about him. He is not completely knowable because we have finite brains. But it's not okay for us to raise our hands and just claim, well, we can't know him. We can't know him. I mean, if he's God, how can we possibly know him? He has revealed himself to us. That's how we can know him. He has revealed himself in his word. He's revealed himself through his son. If we don't come to the revealed God, we come to another God. A God we have made up. We don't want to come to that day and him say, I didn't know you. So we can easily create our understanding of God by making deductions of what we see. Well, this seems to happen, that seems to happen, I feel like this. This is what I hear around from other people. This is what I imagine. But God has revealed who he is. You've got to come back to God. Who do you say you are? We just sang, you are who you say you are. If he's not who he says he is, then I'm not who he says he is either. I can't sing, I am who you say I am, if I'm saying, but you're not really who you say you are. I don't really believe that. It all falls down like a pack of cards. We need to come to the God as he has revealed himself. And going through Luke, we are learning, who are you, God? Show us who you are. Reveal to us, who do you say you are? Because you, are, you must understand, he will be known for who he is, or he won't be known. So today we reach Luke chapter 3, and this, this great revelation of who God is. This great revelation. After John has just been saying, you must be baptized for the repentance of your sins. Here comes Jesus in verse 21 of chapter 3. It says this. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Father, we just want to, on the back of reading your word, just ask you to speak to us today. Please speak to the depths of our souls today. Lord, we want to know God. We don't want to know a mirage. We want to know the revealed God. Speak to our hearts. I pray, trample on the enemy today. Let us know you as you have revealed yourself and what that means for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Lift up this church. Let the bride of Christ see who she is in you and stand to her feet. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. So here is this picture of the revealed God, something that we hear as a doctrine many times, and you may sort of hear the word and it might put you to sleep because you think, oh, here we go. This is a picture of the Trinity here. And when we hear the, the doctrine of the Trinity, we can think, oh, here we go. This is this stodgy kind of difficult to understand doctrine. Where, what is it, an egg? Is it a leaf? What, what is it? Is it a wash and go, three shampoo in one? What, what is a good illustration for this? You can get so caught up in all of that. But the important thing is here, it's not a vague God. It's not a vague God. A vague God gives us vagueness around the value around the beauty, around the intimacy and glory of the true Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It can seem like a stodgy doctrine, but it is precisely what makes God love. It's what makes him delightful and desirable. If you go to a message and you hear it on the Trinity and you hear someone say, it's a little bit like H2O. It can be, it's all H2O, but it can be ice, water, or steam. You don't go, wow, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to worship you now. No, it doesn't really stir your affection. But really, the Trinity should stir our affection. Because as we see, it's not about the the practicalities. It's about the relationship between the Godhead. We may more naturally like messages that give us something to do. Some self-improvement. But Christianity is not primarily about self-improvement. It's about knowing God. To enjoy Him forever. To glorify him forever, it says in the Westminster Catechism. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Learning about the Trinity is not just learning correct theology. It's knowing him better. It brings real, profound, practical change to our lives. Knowing God's love is how we learn to love. It's what makes us loving. These explanations could stretch our brains a little bit, but they're dull. They don't inspire worship. What ignites our worship, what ignites us to delight in God, is the relationship that shows what our God is like. Your understanding of what God is is primarily will vastly shape how you behave towards him. What is your primary view of God? What do you think of when you think of God? What is the title you give him? Is it just God? Just some vague, spiritual, abstract spirit, unknowable, probably boring, and definitely irrelevant to you. Just God. I don't really know. Is that your primary thought when you think of God? When we sing about God, you just think, it's just this abstract spirit. Is it creator? Creator God? What a wonderful truth that is, that he is creator God. Powerful, awesome, creator God. But creator God, primarily, if that's how I see him, he is creator first. Then he is somewhat distant to me. And in fact, he's somewhat pathetic. Do you know why? Because a creator God, if that's who he is primarily, if that's his identity, he is creator God, then he needs his creation to give him his identity. What was he before creation? If he is creator God primarily, what was he before creation? Bored? Lonely? Not really God? No, he's not primarily creator God. Not foremost. He is creator, but he must be something else first. Maybe you think almighty. 
He is primarily power. That's what God is. He's primarily power. He's almighty. And how almighty he is. We tremble before him. I mean, this morning in that worship time, I wasn't sure at times whether I should open my eyes. Just, just trembling before this almighty one. Wow, what a God he is. He is almighty, but he must be something else. Because mere might is not who God is. Power is not decisively positive or negative. That would be terrifying if he was primarily almighty. Well, does that mean he's good? Is he bad? I don't know. He's just powerful. He's got to be something else first. If we think of him only as judge or ruler in our hearts, we won't love him. We may be incredibly grateful to him for his pardoning of our sins, but we won't be drawn to him in affection. We won't love him if, if we're thinking he is first ruler, he is first judge. And listen, some of you may have misunderstood altogether, thinking that we don't actually believe in the living and active God. No, God is our word for church and this group and these people here. It's this thing we go through to make us feel a little bit better. And listen, if that is deep down what you really have settled with, you will be absolutely miserable. You will be uninspired. If this is what God is, I mean, no offense, but look around. You're going to be constantly let down. I go to God each week. I go to my God in, in, in midweek for my life group. But we're human, right? We're going to let each other down all the time. We're not going to inspire each other the way that the living God can inspire each other. Again and again, we will be disappointed because we put people in a position in our heart that only God should be in and only God can satisfy. God has revealed himself before anything else as Father. That's what it is in this passage we see. Before the foundations of the world, the Father loved the Son. That's what the word is clearly saying. Before anything else, there was a loving community of Father, Son, loving each other by the Holy Spirit. Throughout Scripture, we see the Father revealed as we read, Israel is his firstborn son. He carries his people as a father carries his son. He disciplines a man as a man disciplines his son. He has compassion on those who fear him like a father to children. He speaks as a father to sons. These are all phrases throughout the Bible. This is the picture that we have of God. He was a father before he was a creator. He's a father before he is almighty. He is a father before he is ruler. But he is those things. So we must think of him as ruler, creator, almighty, judge. We consider that he does all those things as a loving father. Yes, he is judge, but he is judge as a loving father. Yes, he's creator, but first he does that as a loving father. I know that some of you, this will be a bit of a sticking point because you, your experience of father was not good. Perhaps still it isn't. You think, if he's a father, that makes me less likely to want to go towards him. And you know, you know if, I, if I'm aware of that just in a little bit, he is so much more aware of what you have been through. I don't know what your experience of an earthly father has been. None of them are perfect. Some are pretty terrible. Most tried their hardest, but God is not a reflection of them. God is not a reflection of your father. 
They were supposed to be a reflection of him. But every father fails. Praise God that he is the father that never fails. He is the only father that will never fail. He is the epitome of what fatherhood is supposed to do. Fatherhood is supposed to be. I love, I'm, I'm really enjoying my midweek group. is our Dads Together group. And we're talking about what it is to be a father. Is fatherhood just a biological thing? Is it just that I have had offspring, so that makes me a father? Not in the Bible. The Bible, father is through and through who you are. Father is strong. Father is provider. Father is protector. This is what our father is. This is what a father is supposed to be. Provider, protector, lover, strong for you. This is what our father is before anything else. And the father loved the son before the foundation of the world. And here we see him speaking to his son, loving his son, being pleased with his son before people, letting them know, this is my son and I love him. God is not a vague thing, brothers and sisters. God is not a vague thing. There is an enemy who would love to keep you thinking he's a vague God. He's vague. Do you know how much of a win that is for the devil? To have you think, oh, he's, I don't, we can't really know him. That is such a victory for the devil. If you can't really know him, where do you stand? I don't know quite where I stand. I don't know quite what it is, what this relationship is. Do I stand him? Is he with me? Is he for me? Is he, is he angry with me? No, he's revealed himself. He is father. We must stand. He's not vague. A vague God, a distant, unloving, uninterested, or inept God is of no use to us at all. But a protective, strong father who takes care of his children, as we've been singing, is a fortress worthy of running to. We see through the Psalms and through Proverbs, God is a God that we can run into and take refuge in. What use is it taking refuge in a God that you don't, you're not inspired about? You don't think he is the holy one that we tremble before? If we take away God's holiness and we say, God's just love, and we get to define love, and we take away anything that is fearful, anything that's holy, he can't help us. He can just pat us. But when we're in danger, where do we go? I can't run to the refuge. He's not almighty. He's not holy. He can't help me. No, we've got to remember who he is. Who's he revealed himself to be? I'm father protector. And I am, I am violently interested in protecting my children. So violent that he would go to the cross. So violent that it says in Genesis, right at the beginning, right when people turned away, yeah, you will bruise his heel. He will crush your head, Satan. The father, the bridegroom, loves the bride. The father loves the children, loves the son. And we are, as we're going to look at, I'm getting ahead of myself, we are in the son. He wants you to know who he is so that you can stand strong and not get washed around by all sorts of nonsense. I feel God's desire to say, children, bride, I want you to stand strong. Church, I want the world to see you and to see that you know who you are. You know who I am. We must be clear that he is Father. Proverbs 14, we read in my dad's group this week. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. If there's no fear, if there's no reverence for who he is, where's my confidence? And his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. 
that one may turn away from the snares of death. Fear of the Lord helps us to turn away from the snares of death. You know who is terrified of the Lord is the enemy. We need to be aware we have a father, a protector, a lover of our souls, a provider. He wants us to know him as father. He wants you to call him father. Can I just ask you to ask yourself in your head, do I ever call him father? When you pray, do you pray father? Jesus said, when you pray, pray our father. Do you just say, Lord? I sometimes hear myself and I think, I'm just praying, Lord, Lord, Lord. He wants me to call him Father. It's not wrong to call him Lord. He is Lord. But he's made a way for me to know him as Father. If you just call him Lord, if you just call him God, if you just say Jesus, you're missing out on something of, no, I've pulled you in. Come in, come into this embrace. You're, You're my son, you're my daughter. Call him Father. Paul is not vague. He writes to Timothy in the middle of a terrible persecution and suffering. I think we've got this one. Terrible persecution and suffering. And he says this, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. you strong like that? Do you feel, is that completely foreign to you? I can't go through suffering with an, with an ounce of strength. Maybe that's what you feel like. I, I get knocked down by a gust of wind. Maybe that's true for some of you. This is Paul who has been shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned, stoned. And he says, this is no cause for shame. I know who I've believed. And I'm convinced. Are you convinced? He's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Here at Jesus' baptism, we see a father who is present, a father who makes his presence felt by his Holy Spirit, who makes his presence known by speaking over his son, who speaks love to his son, who speaks of his pleasure over his son. This is the epitome of fatherhood. A present father, loving, speaking pleasure, lifting up his son. So we now look at why was Jesus... Baptized. Wasn't, wasn't John just speaking last week about this baptism of repentance for those who need to turn back to God? The sinners, the rebels. Isn't it us who need to be baptized? Jesus, why are you being baptized? You ever wondered that? Why did Jesus get baptized anyway? It's a baptism of repentance. It's supposed to be people who are turning away from sin. Why, Jesus? We still get baptized today. We see people baptized here I'm sure most of you have seen people baptized here. People get baptized in this room to publicly state their repentance. Why is Jesus now getting baptized? Baptism is a picture of death and resurrection. An old sinful life gone. A new forgiven life begun. But Jesus had no reason to need forgiveness. He had done no wrong. What's, what's going on here? Why, why is Jesus getting baptized? This is actually a remarkable thing. And it ties in, if you've got your Bible open still, with this whole genealogy, this whole section after till the end of chapter 3. It talks about Jesus and his, his genealogy, who he came from, all the way down to Adam, the son of God. Because baptism is an act with layers of deep significance. 
One of these things is that it represents identification with something. So Paul says of the Israelites being baptized into Moses. You identify with Moses. And Christians are baptized into one body. That's what we've become. We've been baptized. We identify as one body. Or into Christ, which is Paul's most favorite phrase for what a Christian is. You are in Christ. To be baptized is to make a statement about your loyalty, about your allegiance, about your identity. When we see people here baptized under the water, they're making a statement. Uh, My allegiance is with him. I'm his now. My identity is in him. I'm baptized into Christ. So when Jesus comes to be baptized, what's he doing? He's identifying himself with the people who need, as John says, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is why the next few verses, they go through his genealogy. The Son of God, born into this line of sinful men, broken humanity. Son of God, born into Sinful humanity. Right back to Adam, who it says is the first son of God, in that he was directly created by God. Not the son of God in the Trinity, but the the first son who God created out of nothing. Isaiah says Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. That's a remarkable thought. If you're thinking, I want to know this father. How, how is the way to this father? What is it to be the bride? Well, it's to have a rescuer. It's to have someone who is the hero, who comes down into the pit of destruction. The one who takes on himself what could be the only way out for those fallen. He would take it upon himself, say, I will be identified with the broken so that the broken can be identified with me. So that they can be substituted with me. Here's the Son of God before he, he even begins his ministry years. We haven't hit his ministry years where he will show again and again that he is other. This God who's, who's in human flesh and again is healing people, raising people from the dead, turning water to wine, incredible teaching. He hasn't started that yet. He's not begun that yet. Before he begins that, he wants us to know this. Consider me to be one of them. Before he has shown the world I'm not of you. He wants to say to the Father, I want you to consider me one of them. I, I want to be numbered with them. I identify with them. Jesus willingly identified with sinful humans so that sinful humans could be identified with him and his righteousness. And it's into this that the Father speaks. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's into that that the Father speaks this pleasure, this ownership. Yes, I will see that. I will see what you say. You are numbered with them. This is the Son of God, just like Adam and just like the nation of Israel. The Son is loved by God. Just like Adam and the nation of Israel is loved by God. But unlike Adam and unlike the nation of Israel, this Son is perfectly pleasing to his Father. He doesn't just say, behold, my my son in whom I love, and leave it there. He would have said that about Adam. He would have said that about Israel. But he can say about this son, this is the son I love with whom I'm pleased. I'm pleased with his behavior. I'm pleased with his incarnation. I'm pleased with his love and his worship. I'm pleased with his sacrifice. I'm pleased with his substitution for man. 
Why is this declaration of love and pleasure such a good thing for us? Why is it such good news for us? Well, God's pleasure in his son is a primary source for our peace about the assurance of a Christian salvation. God's pleasure in his son, his declaration of love for his son, helps me to know God's pleased with me. That I'm safe. I'm loved by the Father. As the Son identifies with us, we're drawn into Him. We're placed into Him. We're baptized into Him when we are baptized, when we put our faith in Jesus. That's what I said, Paul's favorite phrase is for a Christian, those who are in Christ. That is what our baptism is, into Christ, into His death, but also into His resurrection. But the reason for that is so that we can be baptized into Him And what is said of him is now said of us. What is said of Jesus, this is my beloved, is now said over his bride, this is my beloved. We are in Christ and he has brought us to the place with the Father where the Father says, you're mine. You're my beloved. I love you and I'm pleased with you in my son. Just finally want to look at whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice do you listen to? We've heard the the father declare over his son and therefore over us who are in him, you're my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Well, whose voice are you listening to? And you've got to hear this because I think this is totally overlooked by many of you. Joy, your spiritual health, perhaps your mental health stands or falls on this. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice do you hold on to? Is it the Father's voice, Christian? Brother and sister, is it the Father's voice who you hold on to that says, I know that he is pleased with me. I know that he loves me because I heard him say it over his son and I'm in his son. Is that the voice you are desperately holding on to? Or is it the Father? There's another Father, you see. The Bible's clear here. In John 8, Jesus says there's another Father, the Father of lies. He says this in John 8, 44 to 47. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He says this terrifying thing here. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now, if you're a believer in this room, you have heard God. But you will hear all sorts of rubbish as well. You have heard God. But what are you listening to? There's traffic outside right now, we can hear it, but we're not listening to it. Hopefully you're listening to me. You can hear all sorts. What are you listening to? This is so crucial, brothers and sisters. This is, this is where we stand or where we fall as believers. And you could say, but God hasn't spoken to me. That could be your, your response to that. Well, I want to look at this passage here in Matthew 16, where Jesus and Peter have this this back and forth. And it's, it's, it's stunningly helpful, I think. It says this from verse 13. You can turn there, but it will be on the screen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, 
Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Christ means anointed one. So even there you've got, I'm sorry, let me finish the quote. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You've got the Trinity right there. This is who you are. You're the Trinitarian God, the anointed by the Spirit, Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's just pause there for a second, because why does he say, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah? What point is he making there? Well, I think he's saying this. Bar means son of. So Simon, son of Jonah. I think he's saying this. Blessed are you, human being. Blessed are you, normal, average dude. You're just a fisherman. And God has revealed to you who he is. Wow. Wow. Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. You're just a bloke. And the God of heaven and earth has revealed to you himself. This is amazing. We can't just say, well, and? God has revealed himself to people who don't deserve it at all. Blessed are you. He could, he could have said this. He says this, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Couldn't you quite easily say, hey, wait a minute. He's been traveling with Jesus. He's seen amazing things up till Matthew 16. It is flesh and blood that's revealed it to him. He's walked and talked. He's, he's seen it. You could easily say, no, flesh and blood revealed it to me. My parents told me. I come to church, flesh and blood reveals it to me. No, the Father reveals it to you. You must hear that. Because you may say, you may believe the lie from the devil, the Father hasn't spoken to me. Listen, if you say Jesus is Lord, you cannot say that other than the Spirit's revelation to you. Through the Father's revelation through the Spirit. You can't say it in your heart. You can't believe that unless God has revealed himself to you. The Bible says that. The father has spoken to this bloke and said to him, this is my son. This is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then it goes on. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's not messing around. And he's found a man who he he gives a new identity to. You were Simon, now you're the rock. You've understood who I am, you're now a rock. You're not vague anymore, you're a rock. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's given a new identity and with that he's given new authority. Incredible. You're the Christ. Blessed are you. And now, look, you're a rock. And you have authority because you've understood who I am and I've identified myself with you. We're together. You've got my authority. Who can bound things in heaven? Who can bound things on earth? Only Jesus. And Jesus says, I've given my authority. I share my authority with my brothers and sisters. And then he strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And now look at this next passage. He's just told Peter, you're a rock. He's just told him, blessed are you. He's just so excited, I would have thought, to think he gets it. And now look at this, the next passage, brothers and sisters. Look at this. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. Ouch, right? You, what, you just said to me, I'm the rock, Jesus, right? Am I still the rock? Get behind me, Satan. He could so easily have said, hey, Peter, that's not the most helpful comment right now. <laughs> Couldn't he? That's what most of us would have said. He's not messing around. I have got a destiny. I've got a mission I've got to fulfill. Who's speaking to me? Is this the voice of my father? No, it's the voice of the enemy. Get behind me. We've got to be clearer on this. You know, there's a story in Judges where Samson sees a lion coming towards him. What does he do? He doesn't say, oh, it will pass on. It will pass on. Let's just hide. He goes and he rips the lion apart. We've got to be like that. The devil says the enemy is like a roaring, prowling lion looking around for those he can devour. If we say, oh, maybe he'll pass on. I just will just be careful here. No, we've got to say, get behind me, Satan. You have been crushed by Jesus. Your head is crushed. We've got to recognize this. We are not on neutral ground. The Bible says we're either listening to truth or we're listening to lies. We're either standing on Christ or we stand on nothing. Romans 5 is clear. We're either in Christ or we're in Adam. We must be clear on who God has revealed himself to be, what he's done for us, who we are as the result. There will be daily temptations to listen to other voices that are essentially the world, the flesh, and the devil. Daily temptations. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I'd really recommend it. This is a family version, and it is fantastic. Parents, get it, read it with your kids. Pilgrim's Progress is a, is a story of a Christian journey, a person coming to faith in Jesus and walking out the Christian life. And so many voices come to this man whose name is Christian. It's an allegorical story. So many voices come through him as he's traveling through life. And those voices have names like fear, like despair, like doubt, flattery, knowledge, hate, worldly wisdom. You will hear voices all the time, Christians. Fear. How many of you who know? Yes, I hear it all the time. Aren't you fed up of that? Haven't you had enough? Fear. This culture. Oh, man. My soul breaks for this culture. We are such a fearful generation. I lived in South Africa. You would have thought that would be a nation to be scared in. The crime rates. I tell you, we are a more fearful nation than they are. It's, it's so sad. We are caught in this grip of fear. We should not be a fearful people. Despair. Many of you, oh, I love you. I meet with people, talk to you, you're just despairing. You've got no hope. And we hear these voices. And we, we listen to the wrong voice. Because there's also in here these beautiful voices in this story. One is called evangelist. We've got evangelists in this church proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming what God says. We've got faithful, hopeful this is who we are to be with each other. Let me just read you a little bit of this story. A man was standing nearby and he saw the travelers, that's Christian and hopeful, walking together. And he called out, come over here, I've got something to show you. 
What exactly is the thing that you think we should go out of our way to see? Asked Christian cautiously. You see, he's got his mind set on where he should be going, and he's cautious. This is a good discernment from him. Why, a silver mine, answered the man, full of treasure, which is yours for the taking. Hopeful was curious. Let's take a look, he said. But Christian shook his head. I've heard of this place, he said quietly. And then called out to the stranger, isn't the ground near the mine dangerous? Not very, he answered. But his cheeks flushed bright red as he spoke. Hmm, a liar, I think. Let's be on our way, said Christian briskly to Hopeful. And the two men prepared to walk on. Aren't you even going to take a look, shouted the man by the mine. Only then did Christian speak sharply. You're just trying to make us do what you did. Step off the right way, he said accusingly. Not at all, protested the other. I'm one of you, and if you'll just wait a bit, I'll join you. Hmm, said the pilgrim suspiciously. Isn't your name Demas? That's right. Then I know exactly who you are, exclaimed Christian. Your grandfather was greedy Gehazi, and your father was Judas, the traitor, and you deserve his fate for trying to trick us into leaving the path. Demas was silenced at last. So the pilgrims walked quickly away. You will hear all sorts of voices. You must recognize it's either the Father's voice or it's not the Father's voice. There's many things that I would encourage you right now, things that are going through your life, questions. If you're in anxiety, if you're in depression, ask that question. Is this the Father's voice? Is this what he would say over me? If it's not, then you've got to say, I need to reject that. I need to reject that. It's not what the father of love would say over me. Perhaps you might think, isn't this a bit intense? Haven't you heard of grace, Tim? I've got a friend called Aaron who's a big Liverpool fan. Big Liverpool fan. And he's been watching, there's some sentiment behind it. He watched Liverpool with his dad when he was younger. And, and a few years ago, he felt God said to him, I want you to stop watching Liverpool. And uh, he did. He was really obedient and he stopped following what Liverpool were doing. Probably read the news sometimes, but he doesn't watch the TV and stuff. And wouldn't you know it, that was about two years ago. <laughs> Last year, Liverpool won the Champions League. This year, they're going to win the Premier League. You could easily say, Aaron, you don't need to do that. Haven't you heard of grace? That's, that's legalism. He thinks, I want to know God. That's his heart. I know I don't have to do this. But I want to know Jesus. And my heart is taken in a different direction when I go there. So many of the voices in that book, they've got so many good things to say. So many of the arguments that come your way, they'll have good things to say to you, viable, interesting things. But do they take you off the path? I want to know God. Get behind me, Satan. Peter could have said, Jesus, chill out, man. Just an idea, sorry. No, I am going in a direction, and you will pull me away from it if I listen to you. Pastoral care at this church, I want you to know this. We love to care for people at this church, but we won't, we will strive not to care for you by just patting you on the shoulder. Pastor, pastor means shepherd. Pastoral care is to care for the sheep. Now, if a wolf is in the sheep's enclosure, you don't go to the sheep and say, I hope you're feeling okay. You don't tell the sheep, you're great. You're doing brilliantly. You get rid of the wolf. And we must be those who walk together getting rid of the wolf together. 
We must stand together. Am I listening to what the Father says over me or what the liar says over me? Can I charge you, Hope Church, do this. Do this to brothers and sisters. Do this with each other. Do this in life groups. Help each other to see this is not the Father speaking to you. Or is this the Father speaking to you? If you're just coming under condemnation, you just think, I'm just weary, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm a waste of space, I'm depressed, I'm fearful all the time. Wait, 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 wait. You've got a Father who loves you, who protects you, who stands with you, who will never leave you or forsake you. What are you listening to here? We must listen to the Father's voice. Father, we just... We just I think many of us, we want to come back to your voice. Come back to what you say. You will not have your children messed around by a liar. You will not have your bride sullied by a liar. And I pray today you'd help many to recognize the dignity of being a son or a daughter of the living God the Father of all things. Help us, Father, to stand in the goodness of who you say we are. Help us to help each other, pick each other up, stand each other on our feet, say, what does the Father say about you? Who are you in Christ? You either stand or you fall on that. God, help us. We want to show the world a church that knows who it is, that knows who you are. Help us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.